it's an interesting discussion as it relates to what I'm hearing. So we're recording this just recently. Elon Musk buys 9% of Twitter, which basically will he's the largest shareholder. It's going to effectively, he could buy the whole thing at stroke, stroke of a pen with what his worth is. And there's been this rhetoric out there about free speech. I ran a social media site with recreational fishermen that commanded really one point of view about fishing in the Chesapeake Bay area, mid-Atlantic in general, which is a mecca of fishing. It's Ocean City, Maryland has the largest white marlin tournament of anywhere in the world, mid-Atlantic 500 after that, Chesapeake Bay, largest estuary, best, I mean, striped bass, just an incredible estuary. It's gone downhill, but it incredible fishing opportunities in the tributaries from freshwater brackish to the ocean. And I represented recreational anglers and the commercial fishermen did not like that. And quite candidly, I grew up in an, with my mom who really emphasized being responsible to the environment. It doesn't mean that we don't drill or we don't do this. I'm not, I'm not that crazy, but there is some feeling that we should probably protect some things or otherwise we're not going to have it. And I had that voice and definitely as a 20 year old had the voice louder than I have today. And the commercial fishermen didn't like that, but I commanded the voice. I did. We had a few hundred thousand people visiting that site. I was the quote unquote celebrity. My voice mattered. I could recruit things. I could do things technology wise, not censoring, but I could censor. And if someone didn't act right, in my opinion, I could kick them off the site. And in many cases, I did. And I got the exact same argument that that is the conversation today. You can't impede free speech. Okay, let's talk about that. I come over to your house. I say real estate people are just a bunch of idiots And I'm going off and just rambling. And you're having a party with your friends who are potential customers. And you're having a dinner party at your house in Colorado. Wind is open. Fresh air is coming in. And I'm mouthing off about real estate agents. You going to let me stay? Welcome to Winning Strategies Playbook. The podcast where we welcome business leaders, CEOs, and industry experts to discuss the rise to the top building wealth, and real estate insights. Here's your host, Jeremy Spann. Welcome to Winning Strategies Playbook. For more information on this show, you can go to our website, myexperiencedrealtor.com. That's experience with an ED. Click on podcast, scroll down to this episode and other episodes. You can download this from all the different platforms that are on the site right there. And naturally, if you're looking to buy and sell real estate anywhere on the planet, go to the homepage. Click find a trusted professional and we'll make sure you actually get a professional and not somebody that just got their license yesterday and doesn't know what they're doing, knows what they're doing in this thing in general. But we're not here to talk about real estate today. Today we are here and you can click on old Brandon White. My friend flew all the way in from California yesterday and uh, welcome to the show, Brandon. Thanks a lot. Thanks for taking me to dinner last night. That was good to get some Texas barbecue. Some Texas barbecue up in the stockyards. Seeing the, the 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 stalls and everything else. What'd you think? What'd you think of that area? It was good to be out of the house after two and a half years. Out of the house <laughs> in two and a half years. Kind of felt like the cattle you saw out there, right? Been pinned <laughs> up and stuff. It might, it might. yeah, <laughs> right? definitely did. I live on the coast. It felt like 
It was good to see other humans that outside the state of California. I was about to say, so you, yeah, yeah, I mean, you're out there, and, and I'm sure we're going to talk about California a bit just after our conversation last night. You know, but if you're going to be pinned up, you either want to be up there looking at a beautiful mountain or out there looking at the coast, right? So those are two not th- those two places don't suck to be if you got to be pinned up, right? Yeah, no, I was really I'm grateful. Joke a little bit about it. Called this, I call it the sunshine tax, but we're really, tax. really lucky, really lucky and grateful to live where we do in Half Moon Bay, California, and to wake up every morning and see the ocean. It's, it, I really am grateful for how that all worked out. So. There are some downsides if you don't like taxes and things like that, but you know, it's <laughs> sunshine tax. So what are you going to do? Tax. Well, we started every one of these off with a joke. My father-in-law said when I started this series a year and a half ago, I should do a joke. And so I essentially do bad jokes. So that way when he listens to this, I know it annoys him. So you ready for this one, Brandon? Right. You ready? Okay, here we go. I wanted to buy some camo pants, but I couldn't see any. That's good. Yeah, <laughs> I told you they were not going to be. We're not going to be good. They were not going to be good jokes, right? I mean, you know, there's. Yeah, I'm not going to. I'm not going to have a stand up career after this. I can promise you. That's a good one. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. There was. You know, and I, and I, they're very unoriginal, right? Because I just Google. Like I don't even have my own material. I like it. It yeah. seems. It seems. It's good. Right. <laughs> so. Uh, <laughs> So, so Brian, you you flew out here from Half Moon Bay for our audience. Tell them where that is in California. That is on the San Francisco Bay Peninsula, and it is west of the Santa Cruz Mountains, which effectively runs down the west side of the peninsula and all, all the way down the coast. And it divides really the developed from the undeveloped section of the peninsula in many ways. It's protected on that side. There is development, obviously. I live there. I live in a development. And there's hotels and things like that, but not like the other side where it's just packed. And I would say it's mid-peninsula. It's just west of San Mateo, just north, no, south. What is it? Southwest of the airport. I live about 23 minutes from San Francisco airport. Okay. So it's in the middle of everything. And the nice thing is, is you can go seven miles over the hill. You can get anything you want, Costco, not that that's anything you want, but all those things, modern amenities, and then you can drive over the hill and it looks like you're going through King Kong movie, literally coming down that side, down through the mountains, and you drive into this little town, Half Moon Bay, and we're known for having one of the largest waves in the world. It's called Mavericks, and it's where the big wave surfers surf. We've had that wave, I don't know, how. it depends on how you measure a wave span and apparently there's a lot of debate about that but it's 50 to 100 foot wave wow not always you have to have the right swell and all of that wow but all surfers from all over the world come to surf that wave so is there something therapeutic driving through that area kind of helps you disconnect from one side of the world and kind of reconnect into somewhat more privacy do you ever have that feeling just kind of driving through that well i have that feeling five days a week when i ride my bike down the coast of route one and there's something about the air. So it's an interesting, we have microclimates. People don't, a lot of people may not understand that, but in Half Moon Bay, there's seven microclimates. And we have, we don't even have air conditioning in our house. In fact, when we bought our house, we didn't even have heat because Half Moon Bay is generally, generally speaking, 48 to 68 every day, almost. And 
The air conditioning is a prevailing northwest wind that comes over the Pacific Ocean, and the Pacific Ocean is generally 56 to 58 degrees in that area of the coast. So it is literally an air conditioner. Now, you can be at our house, which is right on the beach, just off the beach, but on the beach effectively, and you can go one mile in or east, and it could be 54 degrees at my house, and it could be 65 degrees oh, wow. a mile in. That's how much it can differ. Or you could look at the end of my street, which is about five houses from the end of the road to a field to the beach, and it'll be, you can't, it's fog, complete fog. And in my backyard, it's completely sunny. So it's wow. just crazy, and it can change in a matter of minutes. Now, I'm saying all that because it's a cooler temperature, and it feels the air is just so energetic, and I think it has something to do with the ions and the air from the water and everything. And it's just a magical feeling. It really, my friends come and say that's what keeps me young. I mean, yeah. and I think it keeps a lot of people young. And there's something about it. I also think there's something about. I love the mountains, but I'm more of an ocean person. I think there's something about opening. We sleep on our window open. My wife didn't like that in the beginning because it gets cold. But you hear the ocean all night long. Yeah. And you can hear those big waves, and it's just, I don't know, yeah. So a lot. That was a long answer to your, to a short question. No, so yes. no. I'm I'm so when I bought my place up in Colorado two years ago, and I remember we were looking through it, I saw all these thermostats everywhere, and I said, "Man, you got a thermostat in every room, but where where are the air conditioning vents?" They said, "There aren't the air conditioning vents as your windows." And I said, "What are the thermostats for?" And they said, "Well, that's in floor heating." Right. And I was like, oh, so it's got a boiler system. And I was like, well, what do y'all do for air conditioning? They said, man, you're at almost 8,000 elevation. You open the windows. And uh, they said, man, there's only maybe one or two weeks in August where it gets hot enough that you got to have a fan. Right. You know, and that also depends on what's going on with if there's forest fires, because like it can seem really smoky, but the forest fires 500 miles away. Well, you know a thing or two about that living in California. Right. And so. So it was just really kind of amazing that I was like, "Whoa, this, I don't have to have that." And then, uh, but you know, the 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 counter to hearing the waves is it's just complete silence. Which you know, being in Fort Worth, it's pretty noisy, and and so it's just silence. And you got that cool breeze coming in, and it's and it's great. Of course, you don't open the windows during winter time because then. They really get a little cold, so yeah. So I can I can absolutely understand that. And so tell tell me about this bike riding thing. We were talking about that a little bit. You you do like what 150 miles a week or something like I that. I try to do 150 anywhere yeah. from 100 to 200 miles a week, depending on what's happening. But in general, I would like to be riding 150 every week. And it's just it's not just about the exercise. It's also I think in the U.S. culture. People believe that if you're not at your desk or you're not putting in the time that you're not working. I think I get more work done on a two and a half hour or four hour or five hour bike ride than I do on anything else. The other thing is, is that I am definitely type A. I don't do anything in moderation and and I joke, but maybe I believe it is. I think anybody does moderation scared, go all in. But, But with that sort of, mental load all the time. I really need to rest my mind. And some people can meditate. If you can meditate or do yoga, I say do that. 
I need to basically push my body to the absolute limit so that the only thing that I am focused on is being in the moment and riding up a hill for seven miles with your heart rate pegged at 175 or 180 will usually put you in the moment. Right. And then although I am tired after a ride, I'm actually feel refreshed, if that makes sense. No, I can I can one million percent identify with that, you know, because I spend quite a bit of time up in Colorado and, you know, during the winter I'll go skiing several times a week. You know, but when you live right on the mountain, I mean you don't go skiing for eight hours, right? Like I it, in twenty five minutes I can leave my house at twelve thirty. I'm on the lift at one. I'm usually done by about Call it two, two thirty. I'm back at the house by two thirty, three o'clock latest, and that's also when I got two internets at my house up there, and that's also the convenient time when both of them are not working, right? Because both of them suck until uh, they get this Elon Musk one out there, Starlink. right? And uh, and so so it gives me a reason to you know because I get up at four in the morning, even if I'm up there, I get up at four o'clock in the morning, and so four o'clock in the morning there is five o'clock in the morning here, but. And so I'm going for eight hours straight already. And so that disconnect, whether we go hiking when it's, you know, the non-winter time or if it's wintertime going skiing, is that allows me to break away, right? Because that's where I do some of my most productive work as a highly analytical guy, right? We were talking about this last night at dinner is, you know, I, I see the world in ones and zeros, but sometimes I get so ingrained in it that I got to take a break. So that way it has a chance to manifest in my brain to be able to go, hey, that's the answer. And then when I get back, man, it's just problem solved and you go to it. But you're right. If you don't, if you don't give yourself a, your brain a break, then you're just, it just, you wear it down. It's like a muscle, right? And you got to, you got to let it free up. And plus, you know, when you're out there, you get that heart rate up is now you're getting oxygen in there. People don't, people don't understand, you know, like I said, whether it's yoga or meditation or any of that. A lot of people don't breathe and they go, well, no, I breathe because, you know, natural. I mean, that's how I'm staying alive. And I'm like, yeah, but you're not, you're, you're breathing to survive. You're not breathing to thrive. And there is a specific difference. And, and people who are athletes understand that, you know, people that are, are, you know, have a meditative mindset understand that is that you got so much bad oxygen pinned up inside you or carbon monoxide, whatever. I'm not a scientist, so I can, I'm not probably using the wrong word, using the wrong words, but it allows you to be able to get that bad air out, good air in. You got that blood flowing, those capillaries and all that. And all of a sudden, boom, your brain's supercharged, right? You are right. Yeah. I don't want to get, I go into a whole, you and I spend three hours talking about that because I learned how to breathe correctly, which is through your nose. Yeah. And that's a, it's starting to get more popular now, but most people believe breathe in their chest. And if you breathe in your chest, that's fight or flight. So you're actually making yourself more stressed and you should be belly breathing for the most part. And your breath should be shallow, not deep. Everybody says, take a deep breath. Well, you really shouldn't take a deep breath. You really should breathe out and hold your breath for 15 seconds so that the nitrogen builds up and it works better. So I get technical about this, but you are right. Most people don't breathe correctly, and it it causes all sorts of problems from stress to weight gain to hundred different things. Fog of mind, just I mean, there's there's a number of things, and you're right. We could probably go on forever and ever on it. So now, are you originally from California? I'm not. I'm originally from Maryland. Originally from Maryland. Where in Maryland? Uh, northern. Well, I grew up on a farm in northern Maryland. I don't know if the Baltimore accent comes through sometimes. I think when I say water, 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 water. water yeah, milk. How do you milk, say milk? Milk. Okay. Because I got some friends of mine from Maryland. They say milk. 
Monk? Monk? So I'm not, I didn't grow up in Baltimore. I'm not saying that's good or bad. All I'm saying is, (laughs) all I'm saying is, is that that they have a different accent maybe than I have. Uh, But I grew up on a farm and then we grew up, then I went to, I went to high school in the city. And Maryland's a, it's a cool place. I think I call it one of the original 13 colonies, which technically it is. And it just, I'm grateful for the experience of having my mom and I were talking about this because I, having been in California for a decade, it's just more me. I always wanted to be in California. It was hard to get to California because buying a house in California is expensive. So I have this whole plan to sell a company to be able to afford a house. But the, it's very traditional and there's not as much risk taking there or if you don't do some, if you're not successful the first time, the second time, whatever, there's this stigma sort of. And, and that just didn't fit me, I don't think. And I never really felt comfortable, if that's the right word, growing up in that environment. I, I thrived in it. I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't ostracized. I mean, I was an athlete and I was good at school and all of that sort of stuff. But there was always this thing about California that there's just no rules. And and everybody says, hey, you think that's a good idea? Go do it. And in the East Coast, it's not necessarily that. It's more of, well, you're going to go to you're going to go to high school. You're going to go to college. You're going to get your master's, and you're either going to be a business person or you're going to be a lawyer or a doctor or something. And it's sort of more of this traditional feeling. And it makes sense, though. I'm not bashing it. I mean, it is a, one of the original 13 colonies. It would be crazy to think that that part of America isn't older and has different thoughts. I mean, the first, I think the first letter of credit was written on the docks of Baltimore. I mean, we can go down, the first Navy ship was built in St. Michael's, Maryland. I mean, there's so much history, no matter where you go, anywhere on the East Coast, not just Maryland, that you can't escape it where you move West and it's not quite that way. So, um, yeah, I'm from Maryland. Maryland's a great state. It has the mountains, it has the ocean, it has Chesapeake Bay, which is largest estuary in the world, and really where I started my first business because of it. So I'm grateful for that. And I'm also grateful that we, you know, I, I met a woman who's from California and introduced me to this place that for a kid on the East Coast, the West Coast is not just the West Coast of the United States, it's another country. Yeah. It, I mean, di- not only different climates, different weather, different culture, right? Uh, and just in the sense of business, different perspectives. <laughs> for better or for worse, right? <laughs> but, but, you know, those, those different perspectives, I, I don't want to be, as one of my good friends said, I don't want to be in a situation where I'm a self-licking ice cream cone. So having different perspective doesn't bother me necessarily. I may not agree with it, but I will say that surrounding myself with people who I didn't agree with has actually made me better. And in some cases actually changed my mind Mm -hmm. um, for some things that I didn't see because I didn't have that perspective or I didn't see that side. And I think until you can put yourself in someone else's shoes and at least have that perspective and try to argue that side, then, you know, sure, you can have your view, but it's, it, it could be a biased view which is okay but you could be missing out on something yeah no and and it's really funny as that theme seems to have been reoccurring in the last several days of recording 
of perspective, right? Gratitude and perspective, right? Seeing the other side, one, to try to understand the other side, or maybe you understand the other side and that alters your opinion, changes your opinion, or reinforces your opinion, right? And, uh, you know, but that's the great thing is we live in a country where we can agree and disagree and or maybe even both and, hey, good on it, right? Although it seems a little more contentious here in recent years, you know, if you don't agree with someone, they yell at you and protest and everything else. And imagine, you know, you've probably seen a bit of that out there in uh, California, right? Yeah, I think that, I think that there's this thing of asymmetric minority, which is a very scary phenomenon that can happen if free speech is not allowed. Tell, tell me more about that. Tell me more about Well, that. I'll go back and maybe just tell you the story how I got perspective on that, yeah. um, how I started my first company. So I built what became the largest social networking site for sport fishermen on the internet. It was a e-commerce and social network for sport fishermen of all things. And started that company in 1996. I graduated from college with a degree in psychology and undergraduate in sociology. I thought I was going to become a lawyer. It's, my grandfather was a lawyer. It's a very East Coast thing to do, it feels like. the, But more so than a commentary on that, it was an easy answer span. It was if you're in college, everybody, hey, what are you going to do with your life? You know, who the hell knows what we're going to do? I mean, yeah. people think they know because they were either told, and some people are lucky enough to really have some sort of calling that they know. But most people don't know. And even me with my shit together, for lack of a better way to put it, I didn't necessarily know. I know that, and your brain isn't even really fully developed until you're in your mid-20s. I mean, it's crazy when you start thinking of all these biological things. So... I actually, I have dyslexia. I am a National Honor Society student. I graduated second in my class in high school. I was the Psychi National Honor Society, which is the Psychology on, on National Honor Society president. And then in my first master's or second, depending on how you do it, I was also in the National Honor Society. But I can't take a test span to save my life because I can't sound out words. I can do anything analytical. But as it relates to spelling and all that stuff, I memorize things. And I literally memorize the page and I read it back in my mind. And that's how I did well. That's how I spelled words. I, I mean, I don't By spell. word recognition more so than anything else. No, right? just literally reading it. Yeah. So I can see if you asked me a question, I will look up in my mind the page of the book and I will read it. And that's and I will just give you the information because is that is that from having a little bit of photographic memory or something? I don't know if that's that? I don't know if that's real. So yeah. I don't know enough about that. All I know is that's how I've survived. Yeah, because see, my dyslexia is so bad that my brain doesn't register vowels, right? And so you could put the word, and I've said this probably I don't know how many times on this episodes. You put the word horse and house next to each other and say which one's horse. And the only reason I'll pick it right is because it's fifty fifty chance of me picking one or two right because they look identical to me, right? But I think that's the thing is. Is you know guys are in our age bracket, right? That 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 came from an environment where nobody knew no, what nobody dyslexia. Did, nobody knew what that seventies, eighties. Nobody knew what any of this stuff was, right? And and so we, you know, and, and especially if it's like my situation is, I I just thought, man, I just don't know how to read. I was, you know, I'm, it's not a confidence thing. It's not anything to dig on myself. But I just thought, 
man, I was just born dumb and not allowed to, I don't know how to read. It doesn't affect, you know, that my ability to want to go do other things. I was born without the ability to know how to read. I don't know everybody else can read. And then uh, I, when I finally learned what dyslexia, you know, they were coming out with these studies. And then I was like, oh, so. And then that's how I was able to go learn foreign languages because kind of like what you did is what I would do is I would sit there in conversations and say, just ask questions and I could remember what somebody said. And then that's how I draw back on information is I go back into a memory and go, okay, this, that, you know, take away the X, add the Y, blah, 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 blah. And then boom, that's where it was. So it's very interesting. You and I have a lot of similarities. That's, that's you know. I think you train your brain with the things that you, or you train, you know, people overcome things. So that's basically how I remembered things. Well, with saying that, that leads into, I didn't do well on LSTATs. I didn't do well on my SATs. Yeah. I mean, you're talking a, 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 four, a 4.0 kid who gets 850 on his SATs. Yeah. I mean, that just doesn't make sense. Yeah. So, um, but that's neither here nor there. I didn't get into law school. And they, you know, everybody has a four. I don't say everybody. A lot of people have 4.0. They have sports they have all that stuff so they use that test and what i i don't know if they use that test anymore but nonetheless i didn't get into law school i went back working on a tree nursery where i had worked during the summer to make money and then my mom i think said she's a single i grew up with a single mom she invested a lot of time a lot of money took a lot of chances to do get my brother and i to private school and do all that and i think she said hey look you know this this kid's going to get off track if he stays here and she said you just need to go back to school so I went back, I got started my master's in psychology. And during that time, I went to a school on the Eastern Shore of Maryland. It's a small liberal arts school, has the highest literary award of any college or university in the United States. It has a very good psychology program, very good writing program. And the they I got in because they knew that I was a good student. But during that time, I had lived on the water, actually, because it's off the Chester River, but on the Chesapeake Bay. And I fished all the time. I grew up fishing all the time. So I wanted to build a fishing magazine for the type of fishing that, that I did, which was light tackle and fly fishing. And there really wasn't a magazine. And I'm not busting on the newspaper at the time. It was sort of a rag. It's made of paper. It wasn't a magazine and whatnot. So I wanted to build a fishing magazine. So I went to the local printer and I thought I'd just going to, you know, I was going to build a fishing magazine. I figure it out. And the printer told me all sorts of things, which basically at the end of the day was, you don't know what you're doing, but more so you have $870. He didn't know that in my savings account. And this is going to cost you $20,000 for the first run. You know, maybe I could pre-sell, but it was very clear that I didn't, couldn't, that that wasn't going to happen. So I, there was this thing that I played around with in the early nineties called the internet. <laughs> so I said to myself, why can't I put a magazine on the internet? And I went to the computing lab and I, I had been taught myself how to program. I'm not, I wasn't a rocket scientist, but I was programming on a Commodore VIC-20 and a Commodore 64. Hey, and watch this. Hey, Gage, you know what that is? He's shaking his head no. <laughs> you might know the Commodore 64. I don't know if you know the VIC-20. See, he grew up with the internet already being around. You know, he's not like old like us, where it was like when the internet was invented. Right. right. I mean, and it was, I mean, it was, it was cool. So I went to the computing lab and 
worked in the computing lab. I had free internet access, and I said, I'm going to recruit the top kids. So I spent about two months in there just observing, found out who that was, convinced him. took me a minute to convince him to say, hey, look, I'll pay you more money than you're working here if you can help me build this thing. Well, he, I did, he eventually agreed. I didn't have enough money to pay him. So I went and got a job on a spinach farm, actually on the eastern shore of Maryland, which is a big spinach farm, doing basically finances and finance and things like that for them. And I used that money to pay him. And within, I don't know, a year or so, we were starting to get traction. And it wasn't, the internet was young. And we were doing, we were just scrappy. We were doing things that emailing people out of the blue, which is now called spam, but people used to email us back and say thank you for letting them know. My wife and I, now wife, used to copy AOL screen names in the chat rooms at night and then just put at AOL at the end and we would do mass emails, which is now called spam, but back then wasn't and people were thankful. They would write back and say thank you so much for telling me about this phishing site. And so then we got written up in a magazine. I'm going to fast forward a little bit. And my partner didn't, at that time, who I'd hired, he didn't really believe this was all going to happen. But he was willing to take a chance because he, his dad had been a software CEO and founder. So we're rolling along. We get some press in a print magazine, Chesapeake Bay Magazine. I'll be forever grateful. John Page Williams did an article on us. said, hey, there's this phishing site. You get up-to-date phishing information and things like that. And after that, I read an article in the front of Time magazine. So in the front of Time magazine, Span, you'll know this. Our guy over here on the left won't. But, uh, <laughs> in the front of Time magazine, there was a blurb about new and cool things, if you remember. It was in the yeah. front of the magazine. It was in either one page or half of that page. And I can remember, like it was yesterday, reading that in the library, which I read every morning. And it said... Jerry Yang and David Philo raised $1.7 million from Sequoia Capital to build a phone book of the internet. It was called Yahoo. And I read that, and I said, you know, we can raise money. For, if they can raise money for that, and we were using Yahoo. They were all, I mean, Yahoo was originally done by hand. Candidly, yeah. it was all links, hand-done links. And I went back to my partner, and I said, hey, you know, we're going to raise money. And he said, we don't have any idea how to raise money, Brandon. And I said, we're going to figure it out. So I got in my wife's, uh, now wife's Integra, red Integra. We drove to Annapolis, Maryland, went to the book bookstore, Barnes & Noble or whatever it was, Borders. Got a, I still have it to this day on my bookshelf to remind me, a book on how to write a business plan. I couldn't even pick the book. And Yvette said to me, why don't you just pick the one that says how to write a business plan? So I bought that. Went home, read it. Wrote a business plan, old school, which I would never do again, but 50 pages. We do the financials. And I print it off and send it FedEx to Sequoia Capital in California. Mike Moritz. Hey, Mike, I heard you invested. Like, I know this guy, right? And uh, I think you'd be interested. Well, obviously, we didn't hear back from that, but I didn't give up. I said, we're going to raise money. I'd read an article in the alumni magazine of where I was going to working on my master's, that a guy had becoming a venture capitalist had come into some money. So I called him. He became interested. I knew him. He was a senior when I was a freshman. And then he goes to lunch with a guy and 
comes back and says, you know, I was at lunch. I, res- I know you, res- you respect your privacy. I didn't tell him who you were, but we were talking about he retired from a venture capital firm because he got divorced and moved to the East Coast where his kids were. And he, we were just chatting and I said, he said, what do you do? And he, this guy said, I fish. He's like, I fish too. And they get to talking. He's like, I'm looking at two kids who are building a fishing site business. And he said, what is it? And at the time it was called Worldwide Angler. And, and this guy says, well, I know that site. I use it all the time. I want to see that kid tomorrow. Well, I get this email from from this guy from alumni. I'm not going to use their names because I don't really have permission to use their names. And I don't know they want to be broadcasted out there and yeah. have a bunch of people <laughs> reach out for them for money. But uh, let's just call this guy Dave. He emails me and he says, hey, I met this guy at lunch. I think you want to meet him. Here, Here's his background. Do you want to meet him? I was like, yeah, tell him to email me. So I get this email and it says, hey, I'm Tom. You, uh, I retired. I'm from a venture firm you might have heard of called Sequoia Capital. <laughs> um, I've been using your site. I'd like to see you. Well, you can imagine, I'm in Easton, Maryland. Easton, Maryland, I think, has a population of 14,000 right now. Yeah. It is not a big town. It is on the eastern shore of Maryland. Yeah. I'm working in a spare bedroom with a desk I literally built. And you get an email like that, what do you think? Yeah. Well, it's like fake. Yeah. So I email back. It is so great to hear from you. I have sent your partner a business plan and never heard back. Yeah. I said, here's my address. I'll see you tomorrow. Yeah. As if... Like, like he's going to show up. Yeah, right. right. Yeah, like he's yeah. going to show up. But yeah. whatever. He freaking shows up the next day. <laughs> knocks on my door. Not lying. Walks into the house. And I was like, oh, man. This is this is not going to go well. Yeah. Like my office is my spare bedroom in a, in a 1,400 square foot house that my wife and I didn't have a lot of money. Like, you know, she's working... For, I don't know where she might have been still working at social services at the time. And I'm this starving entrepreneur just scrapping crap together, you know, to make this thing work. And he said, oh, I said, well, it's nice to see you, Tom. And he said, well, let's check out your office. And I said, let's go upstairs. <laughs> I'm walking up these old creaky, these old pine hardwood floors, right? Well, I take them upstairs and... He looks around, it's a spare bedroom. This is an old house built in 1907. It was in good shape, but I'm just saying it's, it's yeah. an old craftsman house. And he looks around and he's like, is this all you have? Now, if you're a kid in your 20s and you got a guy like that looking at you and says, is that all you've got? You Who's worth a gajillion dollars anyways, right? Right. Yeah. It, uh, Yahoo started in his conference room, right. Cisco and a hundred other companies. You start to get hot, like yeah. physically hot. You know that feeling? <laughs> yes. You know that feeling? Oh, yeah. Where not only are you hot, you're starting to sweat, and you feel like your face is red because your face is red, right. right? I said, listen. I said, I'm really sorry that you drove across the Bay Bridge for this. I said, but this is all, this is it. Like, you know, if you want to see another office, partner's got a spare bedroom down down the road. <laughs> I mean, he... he I'm I'm basically feeling really bad. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm hot. I'm sweating. I'm probably the, the stains are probably starting in my shirt. He said, "Hey, kid, calm down." He said, "This is how we found Cisco." And I was like, 
hmm, well, that's a little bit too big for my mind right now, sort of think about, but okay. We do the, we talk a little bit. He says, let's go to lunch. We go to lunch. No business plan. After I've written this damn business plan that's 55 pages long and got financials and all this crap, and he flips over the placemat, pulls out the pen out of his pocket, which to this day he still has these pens. It's those pens that, uh, they're not like that ballpoint print. Oh, it is like that pen you're writing. It has a lot of ink out of it. Mm -hmm. You see, it has, you can see the ink in it. What do you yeah. call that, span? I don't this know. Is, yeah, this is uniball. I don't know. Yeah, but it has. It just writes it, smooth. That's yeah, all I read. But, but, but it has a lot of ink in it. Yeah. You know, it's not like a ballpoint pen that doesn't. It doesn't have it. Oh, I know what you're talking. Like one of those calligraphy type so, pens. So, yeah, so, yeah, like a fancy pen. Yeah, but it but it has a lot of ink, and I only know because it bleeds into the page when you write on. Yeah, that. I know what you're talking about. So anyway, he flips about. over yeah. this biz. He flips over the placemat. We're at Washington Street Pub, which I don't even know it still exists in downtown Easton, and we do the business plan on the back of the placemat. And he, and I, I'll for always forget it. It's people, product, market, financing. And that was the four things he really wanted to know about. And he folds that thing up and puts it in his pocket. So at this point, I was like, all right. I said, hey, do you want to go fishing? He's like, yeah, yeah, let's go fishing. So I said, let's go back to the house. We drive back and dodge Durango, hook up the 21-foot Parker, and off we go. I drop it in. We go fishing. Catch a, we catch a lot of fish, have some fun. On the way home, which I had gone to a ramp south of Easton, he says, how much money you guys raised? I said, not a single cent. He said, how much money you got in your bank account? I said, don't know. He said, what do you mean? I said, well, we trade stocks to fund the company, which is actually true. To all the listeners, not recommending it. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm highly not recommending it, especially today. There's a lot of younger people who think you can get Robin Hood and trade. I uh, it's a highly risky venture, but that's what we were doing. And we were trading stocks. We were building web pages. But you imagine in 1996, 7, 8, really how hard it was to convince, hey, Span, you need a web page for your real estate. And you're like, why do I need a web page? I'm sending direct mail to everybody in this neighborhood every day. And I've got my picture on the cart in the news, I mean, in the news, in the supermarket, and I got a million business cards with my picture on it, and I'm like, what? I don't even know what this internet does, yada yada. So we were trading stocks. I said, look, sometimes we have seven thousand, sometimes we have twenty five. I don't know what my partner traded today, so we'll see when we get home. So he just, I don't, I'm concentrating on the road pulling this boat. I don't know if he shook his head, but he sort of, I think, was like, wow, I don't, that that's a little risky. And I see him writing something with that pen that bleeds into the paper. And he hands me over a check as we're driving for $50,000. And he said, let's go. But he said, but you can't trade it. And fast forward, we raised a million dollars and went off on this dot-com adventure. And it didn't work out well. The <laughs> Well... <laughs> I'm gonna, uh, it did work out well, but it, it didn't immediately work out well because, you know, it was dot com. It was 80, 98, 99, 2000, market crashed. And, I, and I'm telling the story because we're going to get back to California, freedom speech, things like that, that sort of come around because I was running a media company and I was running an online forum in a social network and had the exact same sort of criticisms that 
we hear today. This is not new news to me. This is old news, more people, but same thing. So the And we were doing cool things. Span, to get that forum back then, I was acting like I was five people. So in order to get the conversation going originally, I would ask a question under a screen name, and then I would answer that question by getting a fishing book under another name, and it would look like there was traffic. And that's how we originally got that thing going. And we... We did well uh, for the fishing market and did a lot of cool things. I got a T-shirt from Jeff Bezos. who's was one of the original Amazon associates back in 19, I think it was 1997, 96 when he did it. And we, had, we were making real money, like a few thousand dollars a month, real money for an internet company that put a bookstore online as an affiliate selling fishing books. But a lot of things, cool things happened. Market crashed in 2001. Got sued by an employee, and the investors said, "Hey, look, this is the end of the road." You know, we don't even know if the internet. You remember? You remember? Oh, People yeah. said they didn't yeah. even know if the internet was going to work. Yeah, I was like, "The internet not going to work? What? What are you talking about?" Like, it was just it was. People were delusional, but the market had crashed. Well, just for the audience' sake, so for especially our younger listeners out there, right? Is you remember Y two K? Yeah, right. I was on a boat with $5,000 because I was scared the world was going to crash. Right. With that guy, Tom, right. who had come <laughs> to my house. And so w- w- because the internet was so new, like, you know, was, you know, when we look over here at Gage, our, our sound engineer is, you know, he grew up under a different perspective of the internet, right? This was something new that we were experiencing. I mean, the internet was like, wow, you can... Yahoo, AOL, search stuff. What is this? You know, sending emails. Like the first email I sent was um, when I was in China in 1996, right? And it was, which was really, really interesting. And you and I have a lot of things to talk about, you know, Chinese and Russians, all this other stuff. But here it was, is China didn't want the internet. They didn't want us to be able to have the ability. So there was like certain, we had to sign these certain things because it wasn't, it wasn't a part of any of the embassy communications things, which were different and secure. This was just a computer in our Marine house. So we had to sign these things. We're not allowed to look up this. We're not allowed to do that, you know. And and then we could send emails, right? And I was all like, man, this is great. I can send an email. But nobody else knew, you know, who are you going to send it to, though, right? Because you, n- nobody you know ha- has it, right? You know, and I grew up. In an area where, you know, we were joking last night. It was like, hey, either going to the military or be a meth dealer, you know, because, you know, not a lot of money down there. And so, like, any of my friends I grew up with are going to remotely have money for a computer that can do this email thing. So then you fast forward as we get through the 90s where the Internet is hopping, right? And then you get to Y2K, which was, well, the computer's not going to be able to continue after midnight on 1999 because it doesn't have a way built to register 2000 as the new year and everything was going to shut down. And I remember because at that time I was working East Patrol on midnights. And at the time, I remember my partner at the time with Johnny Salazar because we had a guy shooting at us with an AK-47 that night. Uh, and that was also during the time where we had the Texas 7 that had broke out of the prison that were on the loose. We thought they were still in the area. They they killed that police officer in Irving. And so, so it was kind of a tense time just with the police department, and we had a freeze, which 
right, you go to Colorado, you get snow, you get ice, it happens here. Well, it just freezes and everything's like an ice rink. So I remember this specific. So we had the Texas 7. It's, everything's frozen. The computers are going to end. They didn't, nobody knew it was going to happen at midnight. You know, as everything stopped working, right? And, and then at 12.01, everything was just fine, right? And then you lead up to like, holy cow, all right, we made it past Y2K. And then that's when we saw the internet just the dot com, right? And, and uh, I mean, that's how Mark Cuban made his money. There was, uh, there was one, I, I can't remember if it was him or somebody else, that there used to be a, a website called Movie Phone or something like that. You could Google, what, hey, what theaters have what movies? And they sold it for something like $300 million or something, and they literally closed on it, and a week later, the, the, dot, the dot coms crashed, right? It was a bubble. And so what would mean for the audience out there who might not understand it is overinflated value of something that somebody has purchased that the value isn't there and it doesn't produce what they thought it was going to produce by what they bought. That's the easiest way I could probably explain it to, you know, if I was talking to myself, another Marine who can't read or write or spell or anything else. And so, so as you're talking about this thing ramping up, right, is that was, that must've been an exciting time, Right. No, it was, incre- it was incredibly exciting. I-, I would rephrase it to say, I had a guy on my board who was an original AOL investor, well, an AOL person named Mark, and he was the CEO and president of eGenie, which was an early ISP that was way early in the internet. And he said to me, he said, your, your idea didn't work, not because it doesn't have legs, it's because you were just early. So what I would say is all those business models that these companies had span, they are here today and making money. The problem was that we didn't have that many people on the internet. So, you know, if you don't have the audience, the business, the business models were not flawed. Now, sure, should well, dogs.com or whatever been delivering free dog food to us? Probably not for free. I mean, you know, 50 pound pa- bag of dog food costs a good amount of money to ship, even if you're doing it at scale. That didn't make sense. But as a promotional item to grab customers, it made sense. And I think what happened, in my opinion, having lived through that, was was that nobody had a long-term view on business. And this is a problem in the United States, and it's why it, in many ways we are challenged keeping up with countries like China who have a thousand-year view. And we manage by quarter. This has been said. I'm not saying anything magical here. It's been said before. It's that nobody's changed it. it it's that, that the market hasn't accepted that because everything's on a quarterly basis. Your quarterly earnings, your currently profits. What's that P&L look like? Right. And <laughs> without – so whereas, you know, the people that did survive was Jeff Bezos and Amazon. He did survive. And he said, I'm going to keep losing money but we're going to keep going. Now, the difference was, was he was able to get some traction, own a very specific market in books. I, he, I think he always knew he was going to expand, that it was the audience. If they bought books, they could buy anything, but he was able to finance his way through. And what happened was, was that I think the VCs couldn't stomach the explanation, at least in these other companies that crashed, to their LPs to say, we're going to keep financing it and we're going to make it through. Now, I don't blame them. There's, you know, I was a venture capitalist after I, 
did that company. And, and I'll say I kept doing that company. So I, the company went out of business, actually declared bankruptcy because of the lawsuit and everything. It was a mess. But I bought the assets back three days later, most of them, renamed the site. And in three months, it was cash flow positive, ran it as a side hustle for, I don't, I'm not going to, the years will not going to be exact because I can't remember, maybe a decade. And then had a five-year plan to, to go back. In that time, I finished my, because I had left my master's in psychology to do that company. I got my MBA from UNC Chapel Hill, which is very disappointing Tar Heels lost this year, but we made it and we weren't even ranked. So I say that's a, a big win, but I got my MBA, finished my master's in psych and the, and then I became a venture capitalist. I worked for two firms. I actually worked at America online and what really was the first big data division called marketing analysis. And, but I ran the fishing site as a side hustle. Then I graduated from business school and decided that I didn't want to do anything like that anymore, took some time off, basically just living off savings I had scrapped together. My wife and I live very, very low burn rate. And I feel internally grateful for having a partner like her who never asked how we were going to pay the mortgage. And to be an entrepreneur, as you know, Span, <laughs> and have a partner who doesn't have those constraints is, it, it is a competitive advantage. And it's a lot to be said for the other person because being a partner of an entrepreneur is very, very hard. Yeah, and I want to I want to take a second to point out some things that you said. That uh, um, so even when I've started, you know, you and I were kind of talking through all the slew of businesses started over the last year, and starting them with you know friends that um, I will say are institutionalized mainly because they either been in the military or some sort of government work their entire life, right? And it's just like, hey, I get a paycheck every other week. I have my benefits, so forth, so forth. And being an entrepreneur and a business owner, and by the way, starting one from the ground up, right? Like even if it's similar, landscape company, maintenance company, whatever, but you're starting from the ground up. You're not buying a business that's already cash flowing. It's hard. It's frustrating. You 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 do what you need to. So I was sitting there listening to some of the things you said. Like you were you were working out there on a spinach farm so you could pay your guy. Mm-hmm. Right while going to school. Yeah, and and I understand what that what that feeling was because when I opened up my restaurant in 2011, right? Which by the way, the audience I'm sure has heard me say this a million times. Let me help you out now. If you're ever thinking about starting a restaurant, what you should do is just get a private charter to Las Vegas and get some strippers and some cocaine because at least you will enjoy losing the money rather than being in the pain of a restaurant industry. Now, it's a very it's a very dog-eat-eat-dog world, right? But I remember, like, we ran into every problem all along the way you could think of, from even getting the doors open to now we got the doors open and you know, the HVAC goes out. Just one thing, you know, it won't make sausage out of it. But at the time, the only way the business was surviving was because I was also working overtime. So all my checks coming to man, I sold my Corvette. I ended up selling my SUV. Man, I mean, I was, I was literally the guy at the pawn shop, right? Like, hey, what will you buy, right? Not because I'm a crackhead and I need to go buy dope, but as I'm trying to keep this business alive, all my checks coming in, maxed out every credit card I had because I believed the business would take, and eventually it would. And I don't recommend a course of action, you know, like if we're talking about trading stocks, but you're, you're when you believe in something, right, you're going to do whatever it takes. Like when you said your partner... Um, you know, didn't believe that it would happen. And then all of a sudden it turns out Tom, 
right? It's like, well, hey, uh, actually, I know exactly what your site is. You know, when you officed out of your 1,400-square-feet house, right? And, I mean, there's, there's all these things. And then, you know, trading stocks, right? And then you're, you just you, – you, you don't – you know, or whenever the partner was like well, – you look at your partner and say, hey, we're going to raise money. We said, well, we don't know anything about raising money. And you go, well, we're going to figure it out. And that's, that's the thing about being an entrepreneur is you're going to figure – it out, right? Or as I like to joke on the show many times, is you look up the same traits as somebody who's bipolar and an entrepreneur has at least 80% of those traits, right? Because you just, you believe it, you can't tell. So we don't want to break any laws because we don't want to go to jail. That's pretty much the only reason, but we want to break every rule, right? We can make it better, more efficient, and all, all of these things. And I was sitting here thinking, you know, just like you're, you were talking about um, you know, there was nothing wrong with your business. It had legs. It just, it was before its time. And I understand that on a matter of like, so whenever I started the SPAN group in uh, 2016, or yeah, 20, 2016, and, uh, and at that time I was doing all my own social media, right, on Facebook, I think Instagram had just come around, I was doing LinkedIn, and I was making all these posts. Well, my college roommate, his younger brother, was trying to start a social media company, you know, to manage your social media. And he reached out and said, hey, man, how much time do you think you're spending a week doing this? And I said, man, I bet you I'm spending 20, 30 hours a week, but I'm, I'm, I think I'm starting to see some progress, right? Because it's about being relevant, being out in front of people, people seeing it. Well, then, so Nate, I just paid him to be me online. Right. So gave him my handles. And now that's what he does. Right. So when people see a lot of things happening coming out of our group, that's because that's Nate online being us pretending to be us. Right. And I, and I, and I often joke, it's like, people are like, man, that was a great post. And I'm like, what the hell did he post? Right. And then, you know, they're like, man, you're doing great. And I'm like, man, if they only knew that he is the five foot 10 black guy down in, in, in Waco, who's me online. Right. Doesn't look anything like me. Right. But he's doing a better job of me being me online. And so interesting is into 2017 when we really started grow. I mean, man, we were, our volume doubled. And I remember at the time the guy that was in charge, so, we, you know, our license are under Sotheby's, right? So Sotheby's is the global one. Briggs Freeman Sotheby's. So Briggs Freeman is the franchise that our license falls under. And the company's CMO at that time, uh, I'll leave his name out, but he – at the time, comes up and says, hey, you need to be buying all these ads to really promote yourself. And I said, no, nah, man. I said, what I need from you is to help me do this social media thing better. And he was like, you know, I just don't believe that print's dead. And I was like, yeah, you know, great, good on you, but I'm going to keep going this direction. Because we had somebody else in the office during that time that was spending something like twenty, forty thousand dollars $40,000 a month on, on, on print. And I was like, well, I'm just paying Nate each month to do all this for me, and I'm getting more traction. So then we were ahead of the curve on that, uh, but it did. You were still kind of worried, man, you know, if we don't do the print, are we too early to the game? And then it really – it just it, I would say in, in 2019, it was really catching, right? Because people are seeing us. They're, they're, they're watching it. And then, so right when we grabbed good, good traction, 2019 was a good year for us. We hit 2020. Nobody's reading magazines. They're all on the internet 24-7. And I mean 2020, we just skyrocketed, right? Like we doubled in size overnight in the volume we were doing. 
But had I started, I look back on it, is had I said no to print and started this probably two years sooner, I, I don't know that I wouldn't have been in the same situation, right? So that that's so that's a that's very, very interesting to to hear that. But you you're just not gonna let it die, right? You're like, hey, we're gonna do this. We're gonna do whatever it takes, keep it going, right? Yeah, the internet wasn't gonna die. And I think as a entrepreneur, what I say is you have to believe you can do what you don't think you can do. And if you don't understand that saying and are not able to hold those two different opposing thoughts in your head at once, it's just going to be difficult for you to do really hard things. Yeah. And and I think you just believe you'll figure it out. It's not that you know you believe you'll figure it out. And you really have to do that. But in 2001, when the market crashed, I, you know, I don't know whether I was – my ego was bruised, the – you know, going back, I grew up on the East Coast. Losing is not, you know, that's a, that's the scarlet letter in many ways. So it was either I was too dumb, too stubborn, my ego was bruised, or I really believed. But I would, you know, looking back, it's, I don't know, your, your lens looking back is, is an interesting lens to figure out how you rationalize what you did to get here. And I think that I did believe the internet. I was on the internet in the early 90s. There's so many things that people hadn't discovered and so many possibilities. And the business plans, they, they were. I, of course, it made more sense to, to buy books online. Of course, it made more sense. Yvette and I bought our, we bought one of our, I think it might have been our first new car ever online. Never saw it. It was a Passat Volkswagen, Volkswagen Passat station wagon, never saw it, never drove it, never anything, bought it online and they delivered it to us. I think that was 1999 at our office of this company. And I just saw that as why would, why would anybody go in and haggle and go over this whole BS waste of time? So I really had that vision. I think maybe some of it came from my grandma. I can remember driving around my grandmother and my grandmother saying that cars would drive themselves that there would be a thing with a this is in the 70s, there'd be a card that you could buy things with, which there was credit cards, but she said it would all be electronic. You know, and I look back on those days and I can remember them. And I have a Tesla that drives itself, literally. I mean, the the money is almost all digital, and that's a whole nother topic that's scary, maybe, but the there's all these things have actually happened. And I had that vision. But what I also had was there, I had to go back to where I was, which was, yes, the money, the company was making money. It wasn't making a ton of money, but it was cash flow positive, was that I needed to go do something else to finance that. So that's really why I did those in-between in things and then ultimately said, okay, this thing's making money. I, get, I, knew, I want to move to California, and I had a five-year plan. I went back to doing it full-time, and, you know, good Lord, spirit, karma, I don't know what it is, worked out. Some eventually called me. And I, I made mistakes. I made a ton of mistakes. I didn't own one market. I expanded too fast. Um, and I went. I learned from those lessons, went back, said, I'm just going to own this one market. I'm going to dominate it. Somebody's going to want to buy it, do a roll-up, and that's my bet. And I'm going all in. And I did, and they did. They wanted to buy it, and that's how we got, and I got our house that we're currently in. And, you know, that California has – the Silicon Valley is, and people say, well, the Valley isn't what it used to be. Okay, well, let's go back to 2001. 
why didn't all those business models that exist today that are making printing money, not just making money, they're printing money, the same business models, these aren't new business models. I can go back and tell you all the same sites in 1999 that exist today under new names. Why didn't they work? Well, they didn't work for people. So people say, why does Silicon Valley work? One is because it has multiple stream. You have you have really rich people who can write checks for 50, 100, 150, 250, a million in some cases, dollars from an individual. You have the A round, the B round, the C round, the D round, and then the person to buy you. Not to mention, you have 7 million people within 30 minutes in the Bay Area of each other. And you just don't have that in other areas. And what, what does that do for you? Well, it means that if you come up with a new business model, you have 7 million people within 30 minutes driving radius that you can reach by not even having to advertise anywhere else. And that is hard to replicate. And that's why the, and I was part of a, of sort of a tech movement in Northern Virginia, and I've seen it in Raleigh, Durham, and Triangle Park, and they're really good people. That, and Austin, I think is is you know here in Texas is one. But are there seven million people within thirty minutes that you can advertise to without spending your dollars nationwide? It's just it's a competitive advantage. And to me, it was one of those things where you know I can be out riding my bike and meet some guy. I'm riding my bike one day and met some guy who's co-founder of PayPal. I mean. That's a good bump in, you know, that, that's a, that's, that's maybe lucky, but it's increasing your luck because you're putting yourself there. And I think the attitude. So with all that, we went all in and uh, moved to Northern California and have experienced an interesting time there with COVID and a movement that quite candidly span, if you look at what's happening, free speech, lockdowns, putting people in jail, for saying things or disagreeing. All I would ask is that people look back and say, is this really any different? And here's why. Woodrow Wilson, I think he was a president in 1917, 1918. Is that right? Okay. World War I. He was putting people in jail for people who spoke out negatively against World War I. Sound familiar? Let's fast forward a little faster. Let's go to Roosevelt. Roosevelt, what did he do? Well, I'm pretty sure he put people in jail for people who spoke out against multiple things, right? The war and everything else. And didn't he put the Japanese in concentration camps in the United States of America? Here, CONUS, in the United States of America. And didn't he not put the Germans in jail, who lived on the East Coast in the Mid-Atlantic, where I think there were more spies than maybe anywhere at the time, and let them be free. I'm not making a commentary on this. I'm just offering a perspective on history to say this isn't the first time we were talking about it. Let's fast forward a little bit further to the late 1960s and early 70s, the Vietnam War. I think the government was editing the news. In fact, I know they were editing the news for our veterans who were overseas so that they didn't read quote-unquote negative things or hear that the city that their orders said they were going to go blow up in three days was basically infested with Viet Cong. I mean, and so 
And, and we go through these phases and we're like, oh, we've never, we've never heard this before. We've never heard this debate on free speech. I, 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 I beg to differ. I just think you have to go back and look at history. And have we learned from history? I'm not sure. Clearly, that's not the case. If I can quote 1917 of putting people in jail for speaking out against something, that's not free speech. As it relates to the free speech on the Internet, and I'm going off, you can shut me up at any time span, it, on the Internet is it's an interesting discussion as it relates to what I'm hearing. So we're recording this just recently. Elon Musk buys 9% of Twitter, which basically will he's the largest shareholder. It's going to effectively – he could buy the whole thing at stroke stroke of a pen with what his worth is. And there's been this rhetoric out there about free speech. I ran a social media site with recreational fishermen that commanded really one point of view about fishing in the Chesapeake Bay area, mid-Atlantic in general, which is a mecca of fishing. It's Ocean City, Maryland has the largest white marlin tournament of anywhere in the world, mid-Atlantic 500 after that, Chesapeake Bay, largest estuary, best, I mean, striped bass, just an incredible estuary. It's gone downhill, but it incredible fishing opportunities in the tributaries from freshwater brackish to the ocean. And I represented recreational anglers and the commercial fishermen did not like that. And quite candidly, I grew up in an, with my mom who really emphasized being responsible to the environment. It doesn't mean that we don't drill or we don't do this. I'm not, I'm not that crazy, but there is some feeling that we should probably protect some things or otherwise we're not going to have it. And I had that voice and definitely as a 20-year-old had the voice louder than I have today. And the commercial fishermen didn't like that. But I commanded the voice. I did. We had a few hundred thousand people visiting that site. I was the quote-unquote celebrity. Um, my voice mattered. I could recruit things. I could do things technology-wise, not censoring, but I could censor. And if someone didn't act right, in my opinion, I could kick them off the site. And in many cases, I did. And I got the exact same argument that, that is the conversation today. You can't impede free speech. Okay, let's talk about that. I come over to your house. I say real estate People are just a bunch of idiots, and I'm going off and just rambling. And you're having a party with your friends who are potential customers, and you're having a dinner party at your house in Colorado. Wind is open, fresh air is coming in, and I'm mouthing off about real estate agents. You going to let me stay? Two lines of perspective. One, I'd probably sit there and go, yes, you're right about 95% of them. Okay. <laughs> So I'm just using that. No, 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 no. I'm tracking. Yeah, you're like, you're like, hey, this is my house. Why are you going to come in here and disrupt my house, right? Yeah. And do you have the right to remove them? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so tell me how the social media sites aren't any different. Because they're owned. Is that, the, is that their house? Like, like you're like you were saying last night at dinner, right? Yes, it might be publicly traded, but it is a private company, right? So, where does that lead us in the discussion? Where where I go is, and I'm not clear yet, is 
when does, when do you, if your party was 5,000 people, do you, do you let that person stay there because it's 5,000 people? If it's 10,000 people, when do you get over the line that says, now this is a public thing mm-hmm. and public government laws? And I am 100% behind the Constitution of the United States of America. That is a 20-page document. That is the rule of law that we probably should follow con- considering that it, I think we're the oldest republic to ever exist. And it hasn't been perfect, but it did get us here. We might want to stick to that. Like, I think going off track, I'm not saying things don't change. Yeah. But there is no denying that no republic, I think, in world history that we know about has. Am I wrong? Am I wrong yeah. on that? Yeah. I'm pretty sure that's true. Yeah. So I think we should stick to the document. So I'm. I don't want any of your listeners to be like, oh, he went to California and lost his mind. I, I didn't go to California and lost, lose my mind. I, I owned a company that was, that was on a smaller scale, but same deal. And do I think it's right and do I agree? I can see the perspective if someone comes in and does something bad. If there were terrorists on my site, I would certainly have kicked them off. And if there were, and in fact, there was... I'll, I'll, I'll say this so that anyone listening and you, because we didn't talk about this, knows that I'm not just throwing stones. So we had a thing on our site called the BS board because I mainly wanted, if, if it hasn't become evident, I'm a pretty intense guy. So I want to stay on topic and I will go down the rabbit hole on topic. And I wanted the fishing, for, the fishing boards or for younger listeners, it was effectively walls that were done by region or by type of fishing. I wanted them to be all fishing. I didn't want to hear about some BS about politics outside. I just, it ruined the, at the end of the day, I really just want to know how to catch more fish. And I knew that people ultimately, that is why they came. There's an entertainment factor to social media that, and the newspapers and anything that if anyone denies is lying. Okay. That's why you tell a joke at the beginning. That's why every TV show has some element that's sticky. With that in in mind, the how am I gonna say this? The there is a there is a a line that I don't know when you cross matters because I can't find examples in this that haven't been true. So if we're going to do this to social media companies and we're going to say this, do they have a responsibility? Yes, I think they do. But are they private and is any different than your house? I don't know. And is it any different with the newspapers? Are we, are we censoring the newspapers? The last I checked, people are always lobbying writers and people like that to get their perspective. Is that, does this sound foreign the an interesting thing, if, if I understand the question you pose, right, is what delineates the difference between public and private, right? And is that based on volume? Is that based on platform? Is that based on technology, location, any number of things that can occur in it? And you're right. It leaves, I think for some folks, it leaves a very clear, hey, this is the two separations. But I think we live in a world where... Um, a lot 
I don't want to say dumb people or anything. I don't, I don't think ignorance is a bad word, right? It's just you're not maybe more educated on a topic. So there's a lot of people that have a lot of ignorance surrounding this to where it's not a line, it's a gap, right? In their mind, because of the ambiguity that stands between private and public. And it seems like they, those are the ones that want to have a voice. And sometimes you hear some legitimate points, right? But I would, I would go on to say is if you remove that gap, you probably learn more about the perspective depending on who's on which side of the line of it, right? Because you've, if you're on the line that says, no, this is a private situation, it's a private company, I should be able to be in control of what's said and not said in here. And then you got people going, no, it's public because everybody has access to it. Does everybody truly have access to it, right? I mean, one, do you have the type of technology like a iPhone versus a flip phone, you know, I mean, there's, there's all kind. I could see where the arguments go back and forth. And that's where I get, that's where my entertainment value comes from. Right. As I like watching it like a tennis match, you know, the ball going back and forth. But it's, each but it's been, it's ugly. And I lost my train of thought because yeah. I've been, my mind is running ahead. Yeah. Uh, the, where I was going with that topic thing is that we had a BS board where I tra- yeah, the BS I, board. Yeah. Put, put all the traffic and it got, and this builds on what you just said. And they would banter and they would argue and it got mean and people threatened one another. And there's this, I mean, I got a master's in psych. Humans are predictable animals in many ways. Everybody thinks they're unique and everybody is unique. However, you do have things that are predictable. And this BS board got so volatile that I found myself moderating that board more often than not, he can't say it. And then, then, then you have to start asking yourself, what line do I draw? Well, he didn't hit him, but he threatened him. He, I mean, and there's so much negativity. And people act differently when they're not held accountable in person. If I can do a screen name, you know, I will act differently. So will you. And you will tell me you won't, but you will eventually. When, I, when you get the reins, you will eventually act differently. And it's... It's problematic. Where I'm going with this is just so listeners understand this, that BS board generated more money than any one section of our site ever. Of course it did. Because you just said what sparked my memory, which was I like to watch the banter. Yeah, yeah. that's what people want to see. They want to see people fighting. That's yeah. why ultimate fighting or whatever it's called works. That's why boxing works. I don't yeah. know why. It's why the gladiators worked. I keep going back in history because I just find it interesting that everybody thinks that this is the first time in world history that these things have happened, and it's not. Yeah, It's that we haven't remembered, and most people, to another point that you said, are actually lazy. Yeah. So you said ignorance isn't a bad thing. It's sometimes people don't want to understand because their position depends on them not understanding. Now, that's an interesting topic, tactic. That is an interesting tactic, but it doesn't eliminate you. But that leads into... A whole nother thing, which is asymmetric minority. So it really only takes, this is where it gets dangerous. If you, this is why I'm, I'm not, I'm talking out loud here. I debate this. I've been debating it for years in my head. This is where it becomes interesting. If you start to not allow free speech, what can happen is what we are seeing is that the minority, which it turns out mathematically, a 
essentially that three to 5% of a population, if you get past that tipping point, can determine the laws of the entire laws, culture, everything of an entire place. Tell me, and I'll just put out some examples for listeners who say that you're, you're just throwing shit out and against, excuse my French, I don't know if we're supposed to say No, no, it's free country, so we can say whatever we want. <laughs> you're throwing shit against the wall here, but 43% to 50% of foods are kosher. How many percent of the population is Jewish? Not a trick question. I'll tell you it's three. Three percent of the population determine most of the food. Why do you serve pizza when you're really not sure what to serve? Because nobody dislikes it, nobody loves it, and it's but but the minority will be okay with it that show up. Go to a party. I'm thinking last night, you you were drinking beer, I'm drinking water. Let's talk about if I if you said to me, Hey, do you drink beer or wine? And you're having a party. Well, there's probably more people who drink wine than beer. So the beer people will probably drink wine. So they will accommodate and only drink wine because three people at your thousand, I'm exaggerating, yeah. party, well, let's just do out of your hundred, three percent yeah. out of your hundred don't like beer. So now you're going to drink, you're going to serve wine. And that dictates, if you start to really think about this, if you're listening to this, just think back in your, think of your daily life how that happens. And that, so, so what's happening is one is humans want to, it's one of the things that I think people should learn is if you aim to be liked and to appease, you will probably find yourself in some not good situations and probably need some counseling later in life. And if you don't get counseling, you'll struggle with things that you don't realize you're not struggling with. And because we have that tendency, what can happen is that that minority can actually dictate the entire population. So if they don't allow free speech on these platforms, and it appears that everybody is saying that, but it's really not everybody, it's a small percentage, but it's a lot of people on that platform who are vocal you now allow them to dictate laws, and we are actually seeing that happen. That's why there's no police in San Francisco. That's why everyone's now leaving San Francisco because defund the police didn't see. I'm not commenting on one way or the other. I'm just, and I'm not saying all police are good or bad. There, it, it's a it's a population of people. There's really good people, and then there's a minority of bad people. And isn't it interesting that the bad cops now? have dictated how we feel about the entire police. And in fact, to the point that we've defunded police, it doesn't seem to be working because my friends, that, <coughs> excuse, excuse me, I see on Instagram, seem to be posting pictures of their cars being completely savage. They're leaving their windows down and their trunks open at night so they don't get robbed. And anything under $1,000 apparently isn't a crime anymore. And then if the police, and I'm going off on these things, not to be political one way or the other, because I think if you are listening to this, you can hear that, yeah, I don't want to destroy the environment. By the same token, I'm a capitalist. I believe that I make my money, I take big risks, I get to spend my money that way. It doesn't mean that I don't want welfare. It means that everybody goes through tough times and everybody needs a break. I just want a program that has a path to get off of it, not mm -hmm. live on it, and you are not entitled to it. It is a gift that this society gives you and you owe society a ROI 
for giving you that chance. I'm not saying you pay the money back. I'm just saying you can pay back as a human in a different way. So there's there's a really dangerous thing happening, which which I'm conflicted about because you're going to kick that person out of their party. By the way, I'm not picking on you, Span. I, no, kick, no. I kick them out of my house too. Yeah. I don't want to hear I, that I, shit. Yeah, I, I'm fascinated house. by this. I, I, yeah. My house, yeah. right? My house, my rules, my, right? So now where are we? We've got senators saying they've got a censor and and censor. So you've got to ask yourself, let's just be take the emotion. And listeners, that's hard for anybody, not just listeners, but all humans is extremely hard to take the emotion out. But let's take the emotion out. Are you really arguing the Constitution? Or are you just upset that that party got more people and is able to influence than you are? And you know what I think? I think that the commercial people were just more pissed off. It wasn't about free speech. They were ultimately just pissed off that I commanded a lot more voters than they did. So instead of taking that energy and fighting and being so negative, why don't you take all that energy and go build something that kicks that other person's ass? But it seems to me that they don't do that. So I don't know the answers to this. I'm just asking the questions to say, what's really going on in your mind? And are you being that thoughtful about what you're doing? And is it really a public thing? And if it is, at what point is the tipping point? And if that's the case, does it have to be, does it have to be relative? Because you say, well, if you have a billion users, okay, that's a billion users in the world for Facebook. I think they have two okay, well, let's talk about the New York Times. New York Times, what do they have? I don't know what their subs are, 10 million, 7 million. I forget what the circulation is. Is it relative to the country size? How are we going to put, are we going to put borders around that now? Are we going to say the world is one, one trigger and then the, the network, the private company can control it because I'll just delete that amount of users and just keep it under that? So, I, I mean, I'm just asking the questions to say we've got to have this discussion to figure out a solution. All I see is not solutions being offered. I see criticisms, and I understand the government, that's really what they do. They criticize when they can't find stuff. And, you, you know, you said something earlier. Well, entrepreneurs shouldn't break the rules I'm not, or break the law. I'm not sure about that. I'll be honest. Because if Lyft didn't break the law and Uber didn't break the law, I don't have a right. lie to my next to my next meeting. Right, so, right, right. So I don't, that, that's, a, that's, a, that's a different topic. Yeah. But my point, I don't want to be, I'm not, I'm not holier than thou. Some laws, yeah. laws are made by people who had a certain amount of data at the time who believe that it's good for the majority of the people. Okay. But I don't know that they're any smarter than you and I. I I'm going to leave that aside because that'd yeah. be another show. Yeah. But on this free speech thing and social media, I just would be interesting, interested in having a discussion, a real discussion, like the 200 people who came together to found this country that I really haven't seen that many smart people come together in one place to have an honest discussion with total disagreement in many cases and actually be civil about it. And it's just not happening. And until we have that discussion, this shit show is going to continue and we will could be subject to an asymmetric minority situation where the rest of us who may not agree with whatever that is are stuck. So it's funny. It's, this, this is fascinating, by the way. This is absolutely fascinating because I like, I like complex problems, right? This is a complex problem. 
And uh, and as you were talking through this, like I said, it's like, you know, my social media guy, he's me on Facebook, he's me on LinkedIn, he's me on Instagram, all these other ones. The only one he's not me on is Twitter. And that was because I just, and, and call it, um, and, and Twitter, you know, Twitter's been around for a while. And, uh, and I was, I didn't really, I, I had an account for a couple of years, but I mean, I probably had like two followers and, you know, and I think I'm up to like 2,300 followers now or whatever it is only in the last, well, since last, this last summer is I found it fascinating, right? And I'm not saying I'm for, I'm not saying I'm against, but I found it fascinating when Twitter removed Trump's account, right? So it wasn't that I got interested in Twitter because, oh, they, they shouldn't have done that. I was just, I was fascinated by it, right? Just a, a situation of like that Twitter was essentially how Trump kind of got elected. He could be controversial. He had a large audience. There was a lot of things. He could move the needle, right? Bad press is still good press because people are talking about you, whether it's good or bad, right? And so that's why I became interested in Twitter, not just because th- that's how it caught my attention, right? And Twitter's been around for a long time. And so I get on there, and my friend, Chris Powers, who's another real estate guy here, and uh, both of us were at TCU, and he bought his first property as a freshman has grown into a half-billion-dollar em- enterprise, right? And and so I was I'd start paying attention. I start seeing people I recognize, and I'm following their, their feeds and who they're commenting on and who comments on their stuff, right? To see it as a business model. Like, hey, can I move the needle in business by having this platform in a voice? And then along the way, I, I've, I've had to do a couple of things. I had to mute the crap I didn't want to hear, right? Because I was like, when it comes to politics, I really, I, I, like, I don't care. Like, all right, the left hates the right, right hates the left, whatever. You know, it's your turn this section. The next time there's election, it's our turn, whatever, whatever, right? And so I was muting that because I was just like, I don't, I don't, I don't want to hear that noise. I follow things that are business-related, right? Follow people that are business-related or I think that are funny. It's Rob O'Neill, right, the guy that smoked OBL, uh, is on there, and he, he puts some funny stuff, but he also puts some controversial stuff on there, right? Or maybe on one side of the aisle, it's not controversial, it's truth. The other side of the aisle sees it as controversial, whatever. But the thing I find fascinating is whenever he says, hey, this was an ugly dog, right? And, of course, you know, never mind your pee to people. Oh, my God, all dogs are beautiful, blah, 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 blah. You see funny comments, and there's, there's some comments. But if he makes a comment of, you know, I think – D.C. and what's going on in Ukraine or not aligned or whatever, right? I don't know what comment he made. I'd have to go back and look at it. Man, there was like 1,400 comments, right? So anytime it's something other than being funny, the side that doesn't the side that sides with them comes back and says, you're right, and the other side comes back and says, oh, yeah, and they start quoting things that, you know, whoever did what, right? You know, oh, yeah, well, you're a Trump supporter, what about when Trump would hear, right? Or, hey, yeah, you know, he makes a comment about Jeffrey Epstein, and he they post, oh, yeah, well, here's a photo of Trump and Epstein, right? But they don't post a photo of Clinton and Epstein, right? So, so it's just I find that, and I'm fascinated by it. Again, you know, I'm not here to, you know, put people to feel one way or another. All I'm saying is I'm fascinated by it because I do believe that it does have an effect. What is that effect? What are, 
what are the what what are the advantages and consequences of effects, right? And I'm not trying to sound like a philosopher, and this is just that's me in business. That's what that's how I've been able to be successful. Is I see a complex problem, and I want to see okay, what are the benefits? What are the consequences if we do X? Okay, maybe we shouldn't do X because there's more consequences, but we do Y. There's a lot of benefits, or or, or whichever, and that's why I find this topic. Um, um, very interesting because to me there are, like you said, you know, ninety-seven percent of topics in this country. It's like, yeah, I feel one way or another about it. But about three percent of topics in this country, people are polarized, right? It is they are extreme one side or extreme other side, and I I believe that um, this thing like Twitter, you know, you're talking about that the censoring of freedom of speech on something that's a private entity. That is a voice that you can see getting louder and louder and louder. Or when, um, oh, what's, I can't remember the guy's name. Uh, he's got a show. I think he used to be on Fox or something like that. I really don't follow, but he started one called Parlor, which was supposed to attract the conservatives, right? And I think it started getting big traction until all the platforms, like, iTunes and Android. I don't know. I'm kind of uneducated in that. So we're not going to allow your app to be sold on our thing. So that instituted. So it's like, okay, who's who's right or wrong? He's wanting to benefit on something that he's created, but he needs a place to be able to sell it. And he, which means he's got to go to another vendor, right, to say, hey, will you sell this? And then they said no. So there was, there was conflict on both of those sides for that thing. That's why I find this stuff just fascinating because I do think that there is something to learn from it. And that's where I'm more hyper-focused on stuff is what can I learn from this? And with what I learn, is there an advantage that I can take from it, right? Because at the end of the day, especially in business, right? When people go, oh, you know, I'm going to create a company that does great things and blah, 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 blah. Okay, good. Good for you. But can you create a company that does good things but loses money every month? No, because guess what? After a while, you're going to be out of business because you got to make money in order to go do those great things, which means you have to at least break even or therefore make a profit. So you get all these capital. Well, you know, you should give more away. You should do this. You should do that. And I'm like, well, that's easy while you sit there on your couch, right? Working nine to five that you didn't take any risk from. Right. As a matter of fact, I'd even argue that some of the people who do it, they hate their job they drive to, right? They hate their life. They hate the fact that they are still in a 1,400-square-foot house instead of a house on the beach or whatever whatever that may be. And then here's this person saying, you should do this. And it comes back to a word you said just a little while ago on welfare, which I think is one of the most dangerous words in the dictionary called entitlement. Actually, none of us, the only thing that we are entitled to in this country when you were born in this country is you are born free. And when you're 18, as long as you haven't done a certain set of things that might prevent you from doing this, then yeah, you are entitled to have the right to vote. Right. So there are certain things that you do get to be born within this country, which is one of the reasons why many reasons why I love this country, that those are not the same entitlements you get being in other countries. 
And you and I have been around the globe a time or two or ten and been in other countries where they've got the polar opposite of that. They would like, they, matter of fact, they're trying to get here to be able to get that. And, and so it's really interesting. So I think that folks in this country have developed a skewed view to what they are actually entitled to. And, the, and what happens is that small minority of voices that are, well, this is what I'm entitled to, is you've got the people that do ultimately make the decisions of whether to hear them or whether not to hear them. And I don't know if it's a case of, I'm just tired of hearing them bark, so yeah, give them whatever. Or, you know what, maybe they're right and the whatever else. I just find this to be, though, interesting. But the only thing, it, you know, other than your basic rights that you get born into this nation, you're entitled to, in my opinion, is the ability to breathe. Because if you don't, you're going to die, right? You know, I do believe that you're entitled to, if you are in a place, it's one of the reasons why we, we were discussing this last night. One of the reasons why I have a podcast. You're, you're, you are, I offer that entitlement when somebody comes in and agrees to be a guest. It's almost like a verbal contract. You are entitled to say what you want to say, whether or not I agree with it, right? And the day that that stops is the day somebody who is one of my listeners or somebody who knows me should show up and go, okay, it's your show. You can decide what you want to do, but what changed? Because your show's not the same if you're going to remove that level of entitlement, right? But that's what I offer. And who knows? Maybe it stays the same. Maybe it changes. I don't know. You know, but, but that's why I find this topic absolutely fascinating. And I believe that it is going to become a louder topic uh, uh, as, as we keep going, right? Yeah, I think um, a few things. One that I was thinking about that you made me think about is maybe what we're really having a discussion is, is what is a monopoly in the social media space or in the, I think we need to take the word social out of it. I think we need to put media. And <clears throat> we look at that as a monopoly in business terms, market share, seems to me we're introducing influence. And that's going to take a minute to figure out because what you sparked it was, was Parler came on and Parler, they didn't agree to put it on the app. And now we go back. Well, Apple says, you're not going to get in the app store. Well, Apple owns most of the market. And now you've kept those people from being on there. Does Apple have a right to do that? Here we go back. Like it's there. And and then we go to the courts and say, well, you can't do that because you have a monopoly. So, and then, you know, the monopoly thing hasn't been, I think there's, and I'm not up to speed on this and we're not looking it up, but I know that there's some clear terms on what that is, but then there's some interpretation. And I think that's what we're getting to in social media or media businesses but hasn't that discussion been around forever anyway? Like we did radio. They said, well, you can't have too many radio stations. Uh, XYZ company can't own all of these. Newspaper business did it. I mean, it just, it goes on and on. So is it any different just because it's digital? I, I don't know. And I don't remember that they actually said you can't say things on those radio shows or newspapers or magazines. They just said you can't own them all. 
because then you would own most of the market. But I, I, look, I'm an Apple user. You can see everything I have here is Apple. Yeah. So I'm not, I'm not digging on them. I'm just saying, aren't they a monopoly? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they become one in many ways. I mean, the, you either get two devices these days. So I don't know where that all goes, man, but it's definitely an interesting discussion that needs to happen to figure out how this is going to turn. And I hope it happens before this, you know, as you were a Marine, asymmetric warfare works. Mm-hmm. And if we don't understand asymmetric minority, we find ourselves living in a place where we might not otherwise have realized we signed up to do, or it may happen before we even realized it did happen. And it's because how that works, which is the first person is not willing to compromise. The second person's willing to put up with them. And before you know it, that that first group basically wills their way and yeah. you know, start to you know not live in the United States. This is this is this is fascinating. We would keep, we could easily keep going for hours. What we don't have today, and that I, I, and that's the thing is I've had to be mindful looking at my watch. You know, Gabe was waving his hand at me over a half hour ago, but I was like, God. And I told you in the beginning, like if it's good content, I don't want to stop it because. This is fascinating stuff. And well, we can always do another show. So. Oh, we, hey, no, I, I think that's going to happen. I, I, I think that, you know, maybe might have to get you on the quarterly circuit out <laughs> here, and then we can really get some good – because I, I think this is good, because that's what I want to come out of this show is that for people to listen and try to learn more about it. You know, when you're listening, are you, are you here to help? With this complex problem, or are you part of the complex problem, right? And maybe you don't care about being part of the complex. I, I mean, it doesn't matter to me. It's just, it's thought provoking, which is really so. When Aaron, my producer, uh, was interviewing me for months to to figure out what the show would be about, is that's what I wanted to be was thought provoking that is really targeted towards uh, successful people and intellectuals, right? She goes, your, your target audience is not the couch potato that's pissed off because, you know, they didn't get that job promotion at a job they hate and they were late to every single day, right? This job is really targeted to the folks like you and I out there that are open to conversations. Like, hey, let's have the conversation. And, you know, and I, I might not agree with you in the beginning and then at the end I still don't agree with you or I don't agree with you in the beginning. And, eh, yeah, I've changed my mind, but I'm open or... I didn't agree with you in the beginning, and wow, I think a little different, too. I didn't agree with you in the beginning, now I agree with you. I mean, that's that's what it's meant to be, and that is what I feel has been lost in the ability for people to communicate, right? Like, I watched my daughter struggle with this. Like, you you know, we were in truck last night, you know, and she was like, hey, I got this roommate issue, blah, 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 blah. And I said, and she was calling me to tell me the results of how it went when they met, Right, because they've been doing this over a group text. Right, four people living in the same house, we're under the same roof, and we ain't talking a ten thousand square foot house. Right, you're talking about a two story house, and you know that share common spaces, and y'all are going to try to resolve a situation on text when y'all live under the same roof and are there at the same time. I said, no, honey, you got to you got to get in there and get in the conversation. And I said, and one of three results are going to happen. You're going to have the conversation and nothing has changed, or you're going to have a conversation. And something has changed. Or you have the conversation and you get a desired result or an undesired result. But you're not going to be able to do that sitting over a text thread when y'all are late. Now, if y'all were having a roommate debate on how roommates should act and all four of y'all were in different states, different story. But you all cohabitate together. You got to go do it. And then it came out. 
you know, she, she didn't get the desired result, right? And uh, uh, and so, well, maybe I was talking to her right before I got to you. That might have been it. Uh, you know, all these days are running together when you record 16 episodes in four days. Uh, but but that's where I found it. I, 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 that's, that's what I want invoked out of this is that when folks that listen go, you know what, I haven't thought about that topic. And even more so is when somebody goes, I haven't thought about that topic. But now that I'm thinking about that topic, I'm not sure where I sit on that topic. I need to dive more into this. So anyhow, uh, like I said, we could go on for hours on that. that that's, that's exact, this, this episode is exactly why I have the show, right? But we end all these going back in time. That Brandon gets to go back to 20-year-old self. 20-year-old self let, wrote, a, wrote a letter in a time capsule that says, hey, if you have a time machine, here's your free card to come back and tell me one thing that I will absolutely do or not do moving forward uh, to make that difference moving forward. What would you go back and tell 20-year-old self? Well, my first off-the-cuff comment on that is buy double what you did in Bitcoin or triple. But <laughs> I hear that I still, one a lot. <laughs> still, still did, still did okay. I still did okay. So joking aside, the one thing that I would say is want what you have. Say that one more time. Want what you have. And that has ultimately in my, I guess, relatively short lifespan so far is what the key really is to happiness. And when you can want what you have, you are good. It doesn't mean that you don't want more. Don't mistake that. Yeah. It just means you want what you have. That means you want what you have when it's going bad and you want what you have when it's going well. And if you can do that, you'll be happy. We think, guys, this is the 89th episode we've recorded. Doesn't mean that this one will be number 89 dropping, you know, so they do all that. We haven't heard the same one yet, have we? I am still fascinated by this because I know you can only record so many of these before. You know, some of them have been similar, but until you hear somebody say the same thing. And that's what I love. Want what you have. That's why another reason why I love the show is because I feel like that's a, that is an absolute candid response to a question that I think gets asked many a times out there. And people just kind of give the cliche answer or whatever. But I believe on this show we get a candid response because people really think about it and go, you know what, if I had to think about it. This is what, this is what I would tell. Well, once so. once you want what you have, you're free. Yeah, you, you're free to change. You're free to not change. You're free to want more. But until you want what you have, yeah, you're struggling. Yeah, and that's called being grateful and having gratitude for that, right? And, yeah, yeah. And I think it's it is that, and and deeper. And I'm going to write on that. So we'll, we'll yeah. come back to that. Yeah, no, I want to. Hey, look, I can tell you right now, you are absolutely welcome to come back on this show. And I would, you know, since we record quarterly, I would love for us to get you on a quarterly basis out here. I think this is great. And uh, we didn't even get to touch on half the things we want to. So I know that we got a lot more uh, to talk about. Okay, so people want to learn more about your business. Where, where do they go for your business? I think the best you, place to go is I write a newsletter for business owners and I have a podcast. Uh, just go to myedgepodcast.com and or just even easier just google edge brandon white and it'll come up 
on somewhere on some podcast player, look in the description and I put information and things like that. And, and you'll have information on this episode that we can put in there. So thanks a lot for having me. It's been a lot of fun and you really great host and I'm really grateful for everything and Texas barbecue and just an honor to be on the show. Man, I appreciate you making the ride out here. And for the listeners out there, you know, definitely download Brandon's show. And uh, we'll have the links on there. So just in case you were driving down the street, you didn't have a chance to be able to write all this down, you can always go to myexperiencedrealtor.com. Click on podcast, scroll down to Brandon White, read more, and we will have these links to get here. Brandon, thank you for coming, brother. Thank you, Span. Really appreciate yeah. you. Yeah. yeah. A lot of fun. Wrong. Yeah. Have you done one of these before? No. Oh, my God. Well, you, you acted like a...